Father God Almighty, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come together. Please bless pastor and the message. Let it bring glory and honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And like we've been announcing, this is a very special service today. And again, if you're a first-time guest, I just want to express to you that uh, we're glad you're with us. And uh, this is just a little bit of a different service this morning. We hope you join us uh, next week to maybe a more uh, regular service. But it, it is a special service because of the fact that today uh, is an ordination service. And we are ordaining our evangelist, Matthew Stecky, as pastor. And of course, all of you know Brother Stuckey, and he's uh, been with us uh, the last couple of weeks. If you didn't know him, you've probably gotten to know him a little bit. And uh, Brother Stuckey was the first full-time employee of our church uh, many years ago, and he worked uh, alongside uh, me and, of course, Miss Tan with my wife uh, for three years, three and a half years, something like that. And then, of course, almost five years ago, I ordained him as an evangelist, and we sent him to the Philippines as a missionary. And our church has been supporting him full-time there. And uh, he has started three churches there, three thriving churches, growing churches, and has had a lot of success, thousands and thousands of people saved. And uh, he's doing a wonderful job. And today, I am ordaining him as pastor. Uh, So for the last almost five years, uh, those churches have been under the umbrella of Verity Baptist Church. Uh, He has been the boots on the ground there as the evangelist. He's been the spiritual leader. Uh, but I've been the pastor of those churches, and uh, we've been in communication every week. Uh, and, and, of course, I've, I've been in part of every detail. And, of course, you know, he, he runs the whole thing. And, and, and half the time he's running things by me for approval, and I'm like, do whatever you think. You know, I trust him, of course. Um, but today he is going to be ordained as pastor, which means that he will no longer be under my authority in that sense. Um, now, obviously, he's still the evangelist that we are supporting as a missionary, so financially uh, we're still supporting them, and there's a connection there. Uh, but he won't have to ask my permission for anything, or uh, he, he will be the pastor of those three churches. Uh, so he has already been ordained by us as an evangelist, but today he's being ordained as a pastor. And in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 here, uh, we see a passage of Scripture that is often uh, read and often preached through at an ordination service. And First and Second Timothy are books in the Bible that are known as pastoral epistles. They are books in which the Apostle Paul is writing to this young preacher, Timothy, and he's instructing him in the ministry. And in verse number 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want you to notice these words. The Bible says, I charge thee, therefore, before God. And the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy, this young preacher, a charge. The word charge in the Bible is defined as to lay or place a load on, to lay a responsibility on, to impose a solemn or serious obligation. It involves encouraging and warning. When, when the Bible uses, and when Paul is using this term charge, he says, I, I'm giving you a charge. Oftentimes we call our, our, the, the short sermons that are soul-winning rally a soul-winning charge. And what we mean by that is that he charges when we are uh, encouraging somebody to do something, to accomplish something, and we're helping them understand the responsibility, the load, the, the obligation that is being laid on them. And 
Paul is writing Timothy here, and he, he gives him this charge, and often this might be referred to as the ordination charge, the charge uh, for pastors. And this is something that, Tim, uh, that Paul's been doing for Timothy uh, throughout the books of First and Second Timothy. Just real quickly, by way of introduction, go back to First Timothy chapter 1, if you would. You're there in Second Timothy, if you flip just back to First Timothy chapter 1, and look at verse 18. I want you to notice the use of this word, First Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.18, he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, 1 Timothy 6.13, he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before uh, Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. So notice that he's been using this terminology throughout the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. And he's been charging Timothy. And if you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, again, we see this famous ordination charge. And what I'd like to do this morning is uh, preach to Brother Stuckey on the day of his, of his ordination, uh, this ordination charge. This passage of Scripture is often preached, like I said, in reference to ordination services. And I'm, I call it the ordination charge. But to be very honest, it's not really an ordination charge as much as it is five different charges. There are five different uh, uh, things that Paul brings up to young Timothy, and he says, these are five areas. These are five obligations. These are five responsibilities that you have to be aware of in the ministry. And of course, Brother Stuckey has been an evangelist for five years, and, and in a practical sense, he's been pastoring the churches, uh, uh, and, and some of these things he already knows, and he's learned over the last five years, but it's good to be reminded. It's good for myself as a pastor to be reminded. Pastor Thompson happens to be with us this morning, and it's good for, I'm sure, him to be reminded as well. I'd like to I preach to Brother Stuckey these ordination charges, these five different charges that Paul gives Timothy here. And I want you to notice, first of all, Brother Stuckey, uh, the urgency of these charges and the importance of these charges. If you look at verse 1, Paul says this, I charge thee, he says, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever we undertake some sort of public ceremony like an ordination, and you might be here this morning and say, well, I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm never going to be a evangelist. I'm never going to be a deacon. I'll never be ordained. Uh, but this is also similar to a wedding ceremony. Uh, the vows taken in a wedding ceremony, they are done before witnesses, but primarily the greatest of those witnesses is before God. And today, as we ordain Brother Stuckey, these ordination and these charges are before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there in verse 1, who shall judge the quick and the dead. I never really noticed this in this verse before uh, until I was studying it this week for this sermon. But it's interesting that Paul says to Timothy, I'm going to charge you. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you these charges, these responsibilities, these obligations, these, uh, this, this load that you must carry as a pastor. I want you to be aware of it. And he said, I'm going to charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might ask the question, why? Why would you charge me before God and the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer to the question is this, because it is, the, it is God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead. The word quick in our King James Bible means to be alive. And what he's saying is that God will judge the quick. God will judge those which are alive. Of course, that is a reference to those of us that are saved. Because when you are saved, you will never die. You, will, uh, you are the quick. And then he says, and the dead. The dead is a reference to the unsaved. The unsaved will, when they die, they will die eternally. They will die the second death of the lake of fire. So he says, God is going to judge the quick, the saved, and the dead, the unsaved. And then he says, when this will happen. He says, at his appearing. 
And we know that the judgment of believers will be the judgment seat of Christ, which will happen after the rapture. And God will judge, and the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the quick at His appearing and the dead. Notice the last part of verse 1. Um, and his kingdom, or at his kingdom. So the judgments happen at his appearing and his kingdom. There is a judgment for the quick, the saved, at his appearing. That's the judgment seat of Christ, before the millennial reign of Christ. And then there is a judgment for the dead. And that is, of course, a reference to the great white throne judgment, which happens after the millennial reign. And the reason that we want to emphasize this, and by the way, let me say this, every single human being will be judged by God. This verse covers everyone, the quick and the dead, at, uh, at his appearing and also at his kingdom. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but I do believe that there will be an even more special judgment, and, and, and that makes it sound positive, and I don't know that it necessarily is positive, but there is, the Bible teaches, and we'll look at verses this morning about it, this idea that God is going to hold pastors accountable. And he will hold them at a higher standard, honestly, because of their position, because of their influence. And Paul is reminding Timothy, you need to take heed to these things. You need to remember these things. You need to make these things a priority in your life. Why? Because there is coming a day of judgment. There is coming a day when you will be judged. And here's the truth. The, the normal Christian, the, the, what we may call a layman, a, a church, just a regular church member, you will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, and you will give an account for that which was done in your body. But those of us that have been instructed with the uh, responsibility of leading others spiritually, those of us that have had the ordination given to us and the anointing of God to lead uh, and, uh, through an ordination and to lead a congregation will not only give an account for that which was done in our bodies, but we will also give an account for that which was done within our churches. So Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God. He says, I want you to understand the importance and the urgency of this ordination of the ministry. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And then he gets into these charges. And I want you to notice the first one, Brother Seki, this morning, is a charge of preaching or a charge for preaching. Notice verse 2. These are very well-known verses. We know them. He says, preach the word. The first charge given to a minister is that to preach the word. Now, what's interesting to me about this passage is that the next charge in this passage is actually not found until verse number 5. What we see between verses 2 and 5, which is what we normally refer to as an ordination charge, is really just a uh, description and additional information for this one charge. And a lot of information is given here because this is probably the primary responsibility of a pastor, of a preacher, of a minister of the Word. It is to preach the Word. So we see the charge of preaching. Preach the word. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's obviously our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 20. Towards the beginning of the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Of course, I'm giving that to the congregation because I'd like you to follow along. You, you might say, I'm, I'm never going to be ordained. There might be some young men here that uh, think one day I'd like to be ordained or be a pastor. Well, you should take heed to some of the things I'm going to say today because they are good for you to know that. But if you are a church member, some of these things you'll find will apply to you as well. But 
at the very least, it should give you a little insight into the life of your pastor and your pastor's wife, and maybe a little insight into the things that they have been charged with, the responsibilities that they have been given. And maybe when you understand the responsibilities that they have been given, you will understand why it is that they do what they do and why it is that they do what they're doing. And the first charge is this, to preach the word. The idea is that we are to preach the entire uh, Bible. The word there, of course, is a reference to the Bible, the Word of God. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, we find the Apostle Paul, and it's similar to 2 Timothy because he's leaving Ephesus and he has gathered the elders of the area of Ephesus. He's talking to these elders, these pastors, these ministers, and he's giving them a charge before he leaves uh, to uh, Jerusalem in Acts 20 and verse 27. And notice what he says to them. He says, For I have not shunned. The word shun means to avoid. The idea is to deliberately bypass, to avoid, to stay away from. He says, I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The idea is this, that our job as preachers, our job as ordained ministers is to preach the word, is to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Notice verse 28, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves. This is Paul talking to preachers. He says, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock, referring to the congregation, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And he says, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And I want you to always remember, uh, Brother Stucky, as a pastor, that your job is to preach the word, is to not shun to declare all the counsel of God, to preach every verse of the Bible, to preach every chapter of the Bible, to not shy away from any part of the Bible, uh, and to do that and to feed the church of God. Our job is to feed the congregation spiritually. Keep your place there uh, in, in Acts, and actually go back to 2 uh, Timothy. I'll read to you from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. Don't, don't turn there. I'll just read this for you. Jeremiah 3.15 says this. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. He says, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And our primary job as pastors is to feed the church of God. There is a charge for preaching. For preaching the word. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 2. He says, preach the word. And then he begins to give all this other detail regarding uh, the preaching of the word. And I want you to notice that I, I think what he's doing here, the charge is preach the word. And then Paul wants to explain to Timothy how to preach the word. He says, preach the word. But he doesn't just say preach the word. Then he tells him how to preach the word. He said, let me explain to you how it is that you are to preach the word. And Brother Stuckey, and I know you know this, but I'd like to remind you this morning how it is that you and I and Pastor Thompson uh, should preach the word of God. He says, first of all, be instant. Be instant. That phrase, be instant, means to be ready, to be ready at a moment's notice to what? Preach the word. He's telling us how to preach the word. He says, be instant. Uh, if you think of like instant coffee, it is something that can be ready at a moment's notice. It can be ready. And my job as a preacher and your job as a preacher is to be instant, to be ready to preach the word of God. And obviously this is uh, talking about the idea of a public gathering like the one we're in today where a preacher stands up behind a pulpit and preaches the word of God and we should be ready and prepared to do that. But the truth is this, that in ministry, I'm oftentimes called to to preach the word, not in public settings. I preach sermons at the side of hospital beds. I've preached sermons to couples struggling in their living room. 
I've preached sermons over the phone to someone in prison. the, The truth is this, that oftentimes it is our job, the Bible teaches, to be ready to administer to the Word of God. And at a moment's notice, we might be called upon to uh, preach the Word of God and to explain the Word of God and to expound upon the Word of God and to encourage someone with the Word of God or rebuke someone with the Word of God. And Paul tells Timothy that your charge is to preach the Word and and, and with that comes this idea that you are to be instant. You are to be ready. You are to be ready at a moment's notice to be able to open up the Word of God and declare the Word of God to whoever it is that needs to hear it. So when we see how to preach the word, we see that we are to be instant. I want you to notice the second characteristic regarding how to preach the word. One is to be instant. The second, he says there in verse two, in season, out of season. In season, out of season. And just like fashion comes in and out of season, things are fashionable or popular one season and then they're not another season, Paul says that our job is to preach the word. Our job is to be instant, but our job is to preach the word in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means whether people like it or not, whether it is accepted or not, whether it's popular or not. My job as a pastor is not to stand up here and explain away passages like Genesis 19, Judges 19, Leviticus 20, Romans 1. My job is not to stand up here and apologize for the Word of God. My job is to stand up here and preach the Word of God. And you say, well, there's certain passages of Scripture that they're not accepted today. People don't think those are, 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 are politically correct anymore. Hey, our job as preachers is to preach the Word in season, out of season. Whether it's popular or not, whether people like it or not, whether people accept it or not, whether people will like us at the end of the day or not, our job is to be in season out of season, preach the Word of God. A pastor's job is never to kind of just take, take a measurement and put their finger up in the air and, and, and kind of see which way the wind is blowing and figure out what to preach. No, no. Our job is to go to the Word of God and let the Word of God tell us what to preach. Amen. And today we've got a bunch of cowards in the pulpits, if they even have a pulpit, who refuse to preach the Word of God who refuse to preach the Bible because it's not accepted, and they are failing at the challenge given by Paul, who says, be instant, in season, out of season. And I want you to notice the third characteristic of how to preach the Word. There's three words given there, and I take these three as a a phrase. They're all connected together. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. The word reprove means to admonish or to correct. My job as a pastor, my job as a preacher is to correct people, is to reprove, is to say, no, that's not right. That's not how God wants you to have your marriage. That's not how God wants you to raise your children. No, that's not how God wants you to deal with your finances. No, that's not how God wants you to, to deal with your enemies. No, that's not, no, God, God wants you to go to work and, and act this way. God, God wants you to act this way in business. See, our job as a preacher is to take the word of God and then to reprove people. And the idea is that we uh, admonish and we correct. It, there's, there's a negativity there because we're telling somebody they're wrong, but we're not necessarily angry at them or, or being mean to them. We're just saying, hey, that's not right. You're not going down the right way, and, and, and you need to fix that. We are to reprove. But then there's a second word, and it is to rebuke. 
And the word reprove and rebuke are similar words, except one is stronger. The word rebuke is an express, a sharp expression of disapproval, a reprimand. And oftentimes what I have found in ministry, and I'm sure, Brother Stakey, you have already found this, and I know Pastor Thompson has found this, is that sometimes we as preachers, we come alongside, and we see problems, and we see things occurring in the church and cultures and things, and we reprimand it, and we reprove it, and we correct it, and we say, no, that's not the way it should be done, and no, that's not the way it should happen, no, that's not, and, and people will often, I think uh, Brother Seki even mentioned this one in a sermon, they'll say, oh, that was a great sermon, and then they just keep doing it. And, and unfortunately, I found sometimes people, they don't really listen until you start yelling about it, until you get angry about it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. And it's like, I've been saying it for like three months. I've <laughs> been saying it for a while now. Our job is to reprove, and often when that doesn't work, it is to rebuke, to express sharp disapproval, to reprimand. And we should remember as preachers, and it's good for a congregation to be reminded of this, that the job of the pastor is not to be your best friend. I want to be your friend. And I hope you want to be my friend. But at the end of the day, my job is to reprove and to rebuke. And then the Bible says to exhort. The word exhort means to encourage to do right. It means to counsel, to give uh, encouragement in the right direction. I want you to notice that here we find this, 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 uh, this, this idea of reprove, rebuke, exhort. And if you put it into mathematical terms, which for those of you who don't know Brother Stuckey, he is a mathematician. I mean, he loves math, uh, which I respect highly. I don't like math. This is about as deep as I get with math. But what's interesting here is that we see this two-thirds negative, one-third positive idea. There's three characteristics of preaching, and we are given Two of them are negative, reprove, rebuke. One is positive, exhort. What's interesting about that is that this same uh, 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 idea of two-thirds negative, one-third positive is found elsewhere in Scripture. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read to you from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. And in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 8, God is speaking to Jeremiah, a young preacher, a prophet, and he says to him, be not afraid of their faces. Now, the reason that he says, oftentimes people are like, why would God tell Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces? And, you know, you don't have to tell a preacher that because we see your faces. (laughs) Some of you are not very good at hiding your angry faces when we're preaching. And honestly, to me, at at this point in my ministry, I've been doing this long enough that the angrier your face looks, the harder I preach. (laughs) People are like, when are you going to get off that point? I'm not planning on getting off that point for a long time. Fix your face. Be not afraid of their faces, he tells them. For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. This is Jeremiah speaking. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. That's preaching, by the way. Preaching is the words of God in our mouths, expounding upon the word. And then he says this in Jeremiah 1.10. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. And then he gives them these six characteristics. He says, number one, to root out. That's negative. Number two, and to pull down. That's negative. Number three, and to destroy. That's negative. Number four, and to throw down. That's negative. Then he says, number five, and to build. And number six, to plant. It's interesting to me that when God tells Jeremiah... I want you to do six things. He said, I want you to root out. I want you to pull down. I want you to destroy. I want you to throw down. And then he said, I want you to build and I want you to plant. Again, we see two-thirds negative, one-third positive. 
The idea is this, that our job as a preacher is to lean on negative. <laughs> Two-thirds negative, one-third positive. Now, here's what's interesting. Today, in America today, the average preacher in the United States of America today is 100% positive. It's all positive. You're never going to hear Joel Osteen say anything negative. You're never going to hear the preachers on the television say anything controversial, anything that's going to get them in trouble, anything that's going to get them protested. Hey, it's all positive. It's 100% positive. And those preachers are not taking heed to the charge of the Word of God, which is to preach the Word. Let me tell you something. The Bible is a very very negative book. We are to preach two-thirds negative, one-third positive. Now, I've heard this explained, and I'm not against people who explain it this way, that, you know, two out of the three sermons should be two negative sermons, one uh, positive sermon, and, and I don't have a problem with that. But honestly, my idea and the way that it was taught to me is this, that every sermon should have negative aspects of it and positive. Amen. We should always be reproving, and we should be rebuking, and we should be exhorting in every sermon. Every sermon should be rooting out some things, pulling down some things, destroying some things, throwing down some things. But every sermon should also be building and planting. We are to reprove and rebuke and exhort. And one thing that I've tried to do over the years here at Verity Baptist Church is to make sure that there is a negative and positive aspect to the sermons. Go back to 2 Timothy 4, look at verse 2. Notice a fourth characteristic. He's teaching us how to preach the word. We're still on the first charge. Preach the word. And by the way, this is the longest one. The rest won't go as long. He says, preach the word. And he says, he tells us how to do it. He says, be instant. He says, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Then he says this, with all long suffering. With all long suffering. And the truth is this, that in ministry, if you're going to teach people the word of God and try to transform their lives, and try to help them transform their lives, You're going to have to do it with patience and long-suffering. You're going to have to be patient with people. You're going to have to give them time to grow. I think recently, a few weeks ago, I was preaching to our church family about my personal values. And though I have professional values, excuse me, and though one of my professional values here at our church is that I strive for excellence, I also strive for growth. And growth is not just uh, physical growth, although that's part of it, but it's giving people time to grow. And one of the reasons that I believe that is because my job is to be long-suffering. Now, it's true that sometimes, and I'm, I'm going to say this to Brother Stuckey, I'm going to say this, Pastor Thompson's probably going to understand what I'm saying, some of you may not. Sometimes it feels like, and what I'm about to say, look, I speak as a fool. I'm not, this is not the right way to think, and this is not the right way for you to think, Brother Stuckey, not the right way for us to think as pastors, but sometimes it feels like people are just looking for opportunities to disappoint you. Sometimes it feels like people are waiting for you to have a good day to give you bad news. Sometimes it just feels like people are just like they're waiting to like try to discourage you. And this is when we must remember. And I know that's not the case. I know that's not true. But sometimes it feels that way. In those moments, we need to remember that our job is to do this, this work we do, being long-suffering. Then he says this, and... Doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. The idea is that we are to preach the word with doctrine. And please know this and understand this, that all teaching is not preaching. All teaching is not preaching. Just because somebody stands up and teaches you something does not mean that they are preaching. And unfortunately, all preaching is not teaching. 
We've had conversations, Brother Sagan, I've had conversations even this week about certain sermons we've heard, and that was real good preaching, but not a whole lot of teaching. In fact, I don't think there's any teaching. And what Paul is reminding Timothy, that a good pastor will preach when he teaches and teach when he preaches. Our job is to preach the word with all long-suffering and doctrine. So the charge is this. It's the charge for preaching. He tells us how to do it. He tells you how to do it. He says be instant. He says in season, out of season. He says reprove, rebuke, exhort. He says with all long-suffering and doctrine. But then he explains to us in verses 3 and 4 why. In, 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 verses, uh, in verse 2, he's explaining to us how. And then in verse 3 and 4, he tells us why. He tells us how to preach, and then he tells us why to preach. And in verse 3, he says this, For the time will come. And I believe that this is when the Apostle Paul, and obviously we know the, he's, un, he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We know that this is the Word of God. And I think that this is when the Holy Ghost kind of takes the view off of Paul speaking to Timothy, and it becomes a view of, of God and the Holy Ghost speaking to all preachers throughout all, uh, all of time because he begins to look into, I believe, our time today. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And I would add to this, and I would say that I think the time is come. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This idea that there is coming a day when people will not endure sound doctrine, they do not want to hear sound doctrine, they don't care what the Bible says, they don't want to know what the Bible says, they want a feel-good message. They want to go somewhere where they're not going to feel guilty. They're not going to feel shame. They're not going to feel like they have to correct anything or fix anything. They just want a preacher to scratch their itching ears. When I read that, I think of a dog. dog wants you to scratch his, his ears. And <sighs> <laughs> yeah, the average churchgoer is today, this morning. They don't want to fix anything. They don't want to deal with anything. They don't want to draw close to God in any way. They just want a preacher to scratch their itch. Now, oftentimes we preach that in that context of the day that is coming, the day that is here, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Notice in verse 4, he says, uh, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They don't want to know the truth. They want lies. Today, people are going to church all over this country and all over this world, and they're saying, lie to me. Don't tell me the truth. Lie to me. Feed me lies. Make me feel good. But I want you to remember that the context, the context of these verses, and though we can preach them that way, and that is definitely an appropriate way to preach them, the context is that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't ever forget that your job is to preach the word and do not allow the fact that there is coming a day, and Brother Sucky, do not allow the fact that you and I live in the day when people will not endure sound doctrine. Don't allow that to ever discourage us or sway us from preaching the Bible. To not allow ourselves uh, to, uh, to, to realize that though we live in the day when people want to turn away their ears from the truth, to not allow that to sway us from preaching the Bible. Because our job, is to preach the word. You say, what if no one shows up? Preach the word. Amen. What if lots of people show up? Preach the word. I'm thankful for the growth of our church. I think this morning we've got 248 people in church this morning. Amen. And praise the Lord for that. But I will say this, whatever success, small amount of success we've had, it's, I'm thankful that it's been done through preaching the word. 
You're, you're not here because we, we're, we're, we're providing some entertainment rock concert for you. We're preaching the word. So we see the charge of preaching. Preach the word. And I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, like I said, the first point was the longest. I'll try to move through these other ones quickly. We see the charge of preaching, but then I want you to notice that there is a charge of protection, Brother Stucky. A charge of protection. In verse 5, we see the second charge in this ordination charge. He says, but watch thou in all things. And our job as pastors is not only to preach, but it is also to protect. There is a charge for preaching, and there is a charge of protection. Our job is to watch thou in all things. This idea of watch thou in all things is actually in the uh, qualifications of a pastor. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're there in 2 Timothy. Just flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 Timothy 3, we have the qualifications of a pastor. Notice verse 2. The Bible says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. I want you to notice these two words. Vigilant, sober. Vigilant, sober. Of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. One of the things that a pastor is to be is to be vigilant and to be sober. It's to watch thou in all things. It's to watch is to be on vigil. Vigilant means you're watching, you're observing. And to be sober, you have to be sober because when you're not sober, you can't watch. <laughs> Vigilant and sober. And of course, the idea is to be serious, somber, to take this task seriously, to take this idea of ministry seriously. And a pastor should take their job seriously. People often come to a church and they just think that they can do anything and, and act like a bunch of clowns and fools. And then they, don't, they get upset when we say, no, 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 this is serious. Be vigilant, be sober. It's interesting because the, the charge in 1 Timothy 3 to a bishop is to be vigilant, sober. Those words are also used in another famous passage uh, that I'd like to uh, point out to you. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Remember 1 Timothy 3, 2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober. In 1 Peter chapter 5, if you're there in 1 Timothy, you'll go past 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 for the congregation. I'd like you to look at this as well. In verse number 8, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Notice the words again. He says, Be sober, be vigilant. Those words are paired together. They go together. He tells the pastor, be vigilant, be sober. He tells the bishop, be vigilant, be sober. He tells the elder, the, he, 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Why should we be sober and vigilant? Here's why. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. See, it is a charge of protection. We are to watch thou in all things. If you're there in 1 Peter, go back to Hebrews if you would. If you go backwards from 1 Peter, you'll go past the book of James into the book of Hebrews. 1 Peter, then James, then Hebrews, Hebrews 13. And Brother Stucky, as a pastor, I want to encourage you to watch in three different areas. Pastor Thompson, I'm sure you'll agree with this. It's good for us to be reminded. Our job is to watch thou in all things. It is our job to protect. What should you be watching for? Well, first, we should be watching for backsliders. In Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls. Our job as preachers, our job as pastors, is to watch for their souls. 
Our job is to invest in them, to help them, to encourage them. And sometimes when people begin to fade off and fade away and backslide, and I would say one of the hardest parts of the ministry is watching somebody backslide and trying to help them, and they not take the help. And you just kind of watch them destroy their lives. But our job is to watch for backsliders. It's always interesting to me when, and I understand this, somebody comes to me or my wife and say, have you noticed so-and-so hasn't been in church in a couple weeks? And we're like, no, they haven't been in church in nine weeks. <laughs> like, you just noticed. Sometimes, sometimes has, someone hasn't been in church in six months. And we're like, have you noticed we haven't seen so-and-so lately? It's like, yeah, they've been gone for a while. <laughs> How do you know? Because our job is to watch. Watch thou in all things. As pastors, our job, as pastors' wives, our job is to watch for the backslider. To watch for your souls. Let me say this, go to 3 John, if you would. Again, towards the end of the Bible, you have Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. For the congregation, those last 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are these small books, 2nd and 3rd John, just one chapter each. Hebrews, James, 1st, Peter, 2nd, Peter. Hebrews, James, 1st, Peter, 2nd, Peter, 1st, John, 2nd, John, 3rd John, 3rd John, chapter 1. We are to watch for the backsliders, but let me say this, Brother Stuckey, Miss Tan, we are to watch for the backbiters. Notice verse 9. I wrote unto the church. This is John. John the beloved. John the apostle. I mean, John's up there with Peter. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than John. And John is saying, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes. Who's Diotrephes? We don't know. But Diotrephes, here's what we do know about him, who loveth to have the preeminence. They want to get the superiority. They want to. There are no one who wants to be a someone. There are nobody who wants to be a somebody. And notice how he does it, Diotrephes, who loveth to have preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember. Notice what John says. I will remember his deeds which he doeth prating. The word prating means talking foolishly against us with malicious words. The word malicious means with ill will, intending to do harm. And let me tell you something, Brother Psyche, in ministry, you've already found this. You've already know this, but reminded of the fact that there will be people who will try to give themselves superiority by trying to tear you down. I often tell people, look, you don't have to. You don't have to tear me down or tear Pastor Thompson down or tell Brother Suggy down uh, to try to make yourself better. Hey, why don't you just do what we've done? Why don't you meet the qualifications of a preacher and go out and start a church and be somewhere, uh, obscure somewhere, where no one knows you for a while and work hard and reach uh, souls and love people and preach the word? And build your own little following. Build your own little empire. You don't have to tear someone else down to try to lift yourself up. But there's always these diatrophies out there. You don't even know who he is. Neither do I because he did nothing. But John, who's one of the greatest men in the Bible, he wants to tear him down to try to lift himself up a little bit. And John says, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content. By the way, that's the problem with these people. They're not content where they are in life. It's not my fault you're a loser. Look, and, I, and, 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 and I'm talking about these preachers who want to have some sort of following and some sort of... First of all, that's the wrong, that's the wrong goal. 
You make God your goal and let God, look, you humble yourself and let God exalt you. But he says, they're not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. So our job is to watch. It's a charge of protection. Watch thou in all things. What are we watching for? We're watching for the backslider. What are we watching for? We're watching for the backbiter. Because in ministry and even within your own church, there will be those who criticize you. I've often said about ministry, people often in ministry appreciate us a lot earlier than they probably should. And then turn on us a lot faster than they definitely should. And you've got to watch for the backbiters. It's, it's always funny to me when, I mean, it happens here. If I, was a, if I was a pastor, if I was a pastor, I wouldn't have bought that church. Well, you're not the pastor. You're not qualified to be the pastor. You can preach your way out of a wet paper bag, so why don't you keep your mouth shut and let the pastor do what the pastor's going to do. And our job, our job as pastors is to protect, is to watch for the backslider, to watch for the backbiter. Brother Stuckey, I want to encourage you this morning, go, go to Acts chapter 20. Not only should you watch for the backslider, not only should you watch for the backbiter, you need to also watch for the backstabber. The day you enter the ministry, I know you know this, the devil puts a target on you and your wife and unfortunately your children. And your job is to watch thou in all things. Notice Acts twenty twenty nine. for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. This is Paul speaking to elders. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise. Speaking perverse things, notice, to draw away disciples after them. You know what I've learned in ministry is that it's very rare that people just leave the church. I'm talking about bad people, obviously. Oftentimes, they leave the church and they try to draw away disciples after them. They try to take people with them. And Brother Stuckey, your job is to watch for the backslider. Love them. Pray for them. Be there for them. Your job is to watch for the backbiter, this petty person who thinks that they can give themselves some sort of status by criticizing your wife, give themselves status by criticizing yourself, give themselves status by criticizing your children. It's always interesting to me. People try to make up for their bad children by criticizing the pastor's children. And I think to myself, I've seen your children. I'd much rather have mine. But you know, if you just disciplined your children and discipled your children and prayed for your children and loved your children and spent time with your children like good parents should do, you wouldn't have to try to make everybody else's kids bad so that yours doesn't look so bad. So look for the backbiter. Look for the backstabber. The one who wants to draw away disciples after them. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Keep your place there in Acts if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to notice the third charge. Charge number one is a charge for preaching. Preach the word. Charge number two is a charge of protection. Watch thou in all things. And by the way, let me just say this, and I don't know that I should even be saying this, and, and I'm going to say this to Brother Stuckey, and I'm going to say this to Pastor Thompson. I'm sure maybe the rest of you may not understand this or not get it, and that's fine. 
But I've learned in ministry that there are two different ways to pastor a church. There are pastors and pastor's wives who are close to the congregation, and there are pastor and pastor's wives who stay far away from the congregation. And there are benefits to both. My wife and I decided a long time ago that we would be the pastor and the pastor's wife who would be close to the congregation. What that means is we spend time with our people. We're here early. We stay late. We have people in our home. People have our phone number. They have access to us. Not all pastors are like that. In fact, a lot of pastors, it's hard to get a hold of them. You've never been in their home. You've never, they kind of come in, leave, never really see them. And I understand why some people may pastor that way. Trust me, it's tempting at times. What I've found is this, and Brother Stuckey, you and your wife are going to have to make this decision. When you are close to your people, oftentimes you lose a little bit of that respect. Because the Bible says that, an, that a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. I've noticed that pastors who stay away from their church people, they come in five minutes before the service, leave right after the service. No one has their personal phone number. No one's ever been in their house. They kind of have this like rock star thing going on, and people are really appreciative and admire because they don't have a lot of access to them. And look, that's, that's a benefit. When you're close to your people, you lose a little bit of that because they get so close to you that they, you know, then the guy that's coming to preach and the other guy, the other guy is better. <laughs> But what I've learned is this, that when you stay close to your people, it allows you to see danger. It allows you to see problems before they become big problems. I think one of the reasons that my wife and I have been able to sidestep a lot of big issues and not been blindsided by a lot of issues is because we've intentionally stayed close to our people. Now, maybe that means you don't get as many gifts, and maybe that means you don't get as much admiration. Maybe that means you don't get as much respect as the other guy. That's a decision you're going to have to make. But I would say this, your job is to protect, not to get gifts. Your job is to protect. So watch thou in all things. I want you to notice the third charge. is the charge of perseverance. Notice verse 5 there, he says, watch thou in all things. Then he says this, endure afflictions. Endure afflictions. Brother Stuckey, there is a charge for the pastor to persevere. Miss Tan, there is a charge for the pastor's wife to persevere. And by the way, let me say this. People often think like, oh, well, a pastor's wife, she's nothing. Um, she's in the qualifications. She's in the qualifications of a deacon. She's in the qualifications of a pastor for a reason. I could not do what I do without my wife. Pastor Thompson could not do what he does without his wife. Brother Stuckey cannot do what he does without his wife. Both get attacked. Both get criticized. And the charge is for you to persevere. Endure afflictions. Notice, you're there in 2 Timothy 4. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Paul says it a little different in 2 Timothy 2, 3. I want you to see it. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness. That's the same idea as when he says, But watch thou in all things endure afflictions. The word affliction means uh, something that causes pain or suffering. Hardness is something that causes pain or suffering. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Brother Stuckey, I want to encourage you that there is a charge in the ministry to persevere. The charge of perseverance. Your job is to endure. Endure what? Endure afflictions. Endure hardness. To tolerate. To bear. To sustain that which is hard, which is difficult, which is painful. Like you preach to us even when it hurts. Endure hardness. You must endure hardness. And I know you know this, but 
it's good to be reminded. The ministry has a lot of afflictions. There's a lot of hurt. It'll hurt in the ministry when you invest on people and they disappoint you. Some, sometimes I think to myself, really? Man, I thought you were more spiritual than that. You're doing what? Man, I thought you were further along than that. And when you invest in people and you give time to people and you have them in your home and you have them around your family and you give them your, your evenings and your weekends and you give them your time and you invest in them and then they just disappoint you. It hurts. When people are disloyal. It hurts. When people turn on you. It hurts. When people quit on you. It hurts when people don't appreciate you. It hurts. There'll be times when you'll want to quit. There'll be times when you will think to yourself, why am I even doing this? What is even the point? And those times you need to remember the charge of perseverance, that your job is to endure afflictions. People will attack you, and they will attack your family. They will attack your wife. They will attack your children. But you must endure afflictions. It's interesting in ministry because ministry, in ministry you often feel isolated. Obviously you have your wife and I have my wife and she's my partner in ministry. I know your wife is yours. But sometimes we together feel isolated in ministry. And you've just got to endure affliction. You will be burdened and people will come to you. And they'll say, I'm burdened. And they'll expect you to carry their burden or help them carry their burden. Say, what does a good pastor do? He smiles. And while carrying his own burden, he'll help others carry their burden. They'll come to you when you're doubting. You're wondering, how's this thing even going to work out? And they'll express to you their lack of faith. And you'll be expected to strengthen their faith while dealing with your own doubts. They'll come to you when you're brokenhearted and tell you about their broken hearts. And you'll help mend their hearts while dealing with your own broken heart. They'll come to you when you're sick and tell you why they can't do whatever they said they were going to do because they're sick. (laughs) And you'll anoint them with oil and You'll pray over them and help them feel better. They'll come to you when you're tired, Brother Stuckey, when your wife is tired. And they'll express to you how they're tired because they've been doing this for three months or three years. And you'll help them find rest. They'll come to you when you're alone, when you feel isolated, when you feel deserted. And they'll tell you about how lonely they feel. And you'll be their friend. My job and your job is to endure affliction. Let God comfort you. Let God and the Holy Spirit of God be the one that helps you with your burden. Be the one that helps you with your doubts. Be the one that helps you with your broken heart. Be the one that heals you when you're sick and strengthens you when you're tired and is your friend a friend that sticketh closer than a brother when you feel alone. 
There's a charge of perseverance. And I want you to notice, fourthly, Brother Stuckey, there's a charge of propagation. Notice verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. You've already been doing it for five years, so just keep doing it, all right? Do the work of an evangelist. That's the propagation of the gospel. I am a pastor. I am not an evangelist. I am not a missionary that goes out on the foreign field to plant churches, but my job as a pastor is to continue to do the work of an evangelist, to reach this community with the gospel of Christ, to plant churches as much as possible all over this country and all over this world. And, Brother Stuckey, your job is to do the same. You've been doing the work of an evangelist. You've been doing a wonderful work as an evangelist, and I want to encourage you, give you the charge of propagation to continue to do the work of an evangelist. This will be done through the fulfilling of the Great Commission, Acts 1.8. If you kept your place there in Acts, you can look at Acts 1.8. The Bible says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both. I want you to notice that word both. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We often preach this as the Great Commission. It's been preached this week as the Great Commission, and I agree with that, and obviously that's what it's talking about. But I want you to notice this word both. It's to be done both in Jerusalem and in Judea. It's to be done both in Jerusalem and in Samaria. It's to be done both in Jerusalem and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And for our church family, if you're wondering why it is that we would support a family full-time on the mission field in the Philippines, because our job is to reach Sacramento and to reach our Jerusalem, and it is to be witnesses unto Sacramento, both in Sacramento and Manila both in Sacramento and Pampanga and Bicol. That's why we started churches in Vancouver. That's why we started churches in Boise. That's why we started a church in Fresno. It is a fulfilling of the Great Commission, and the fulfilling of the Great Commission is done through church planting. And obviously, we're all for mission strips, and we're, all, I mean, we're not against mission strips. I like mission strips, and we do mission strips. But the ultimate fulfillment of a great commission is not just getting somebody saved, it's getting somebody saved and then getting them plugged into a church where they can be baptized and they can observe to do all things whatsoever I've commanded. Amen. Titus 1.5, if you would, you, if you're there in 2 Timothy, if you go past 2 Timothy into the book of Titus, Titus 1.5, Paul tells another young preacher, he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. And I want to say to you, Brother Stucky, for this cause left I thee in the Philippines. <laughs> that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. It is the charge of propagation. Do the work of an evangelist. And then lastly this morning, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been seeing the charge of an ordination, the charge of preaching, the charge of protection, the charge of perseverance, the charge of propagation. I want you to notice lastly this morning the charge of proving. Look at the last part of verse 5. Make full proof of thy ministry. This is probably the most obscure and uncertain ch- phrase in this charge. Lots of people wonder about exactly what it is that the Apostle Paul means. There's a lot of questions and debates regarding that. I'll just let you know what I think it means. When he says, make full proof of thy ministry, I think the idea is that it is our job to prove all things. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'd like you to look at it, verse 15. We have this passage, and this is usually given in the context of preaching, and I understand the context is preaching, but I think it can be applied to all of ministry. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The job of the pastor, the job of the preacher, is to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. The word ashamed means embarrassed. Our job is, and, and my job as a pastor, and your job, Brother Stucky, is that you need to be convinced because you are now going to be the pastor, which means that you're not going to have someone like me saying, no, don't do that, do this. Obviously, I'm always here for you, and you can always ask my advice, and as a friend, I'm happy to tell you, but there will be a shift. We will, our relationship going forward will go from maybe me inserting myself, whether you ask or not, which you're always good about asking, and me saying, no, do this, don't do this, where in the future, if you need some advice and counsel, you can come to me, but I'm not going to say do this and do that. I'm going to say, if it were me, here's what I would do, because you're the pastor. You're going to have to prove. You're going to have to be convinced. You're going to have to study yourself to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Romans 14 and verse 5, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. In fact, you go to Hebrews, if you would, Hebrews 13, from 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. And let me read to you from Romans chapter 14. This is actually a, a phrase that I got from Brother Stucky. I remember Brother Stucky used this years ago, and I thought that's a good phrase. Romans 14, 5, it says, and he got it from the Bible, just, you know, before you get too impressed with him. <laughs> Romans 14, 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another man esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Amen. And you know what? Your job and my job, Brother Stuckey, and our job as pastors, Pastor Thompson, is to be fully persuaded in our own minds. We have to think about things and study things. We need to, and, and, and at the end of the day, we have to be persuaded. Amen. We have to be convinced. You need to make full proof of ministry. Now, why is that? Why is it that we need to decide, no, this is the best way to do it? And look, and, and my opinion has always been this. Just other churches may do things differently. Other churches may have different ways and systems that they do it, but we've decided we're going to do it this way at Verity Baptist Church. This ministry is going to run this way. This is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to be. Why? Because uh, my job is to be convinced. You say, why? Why do you need to be convinced? Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Hebrews 13, 17. We're ending kind of where we started. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. That's you, the pastor. You are the ruler of the ministry. You, we do not lord over God's heritage. We do not lord into the lives of people's personal lives. We do not sit there and tell people what to do in their personal lives. We can give them counsel and advice, but we don't make them do anything. But we do rule in the house of God. You say, why? Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Here's why, though, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. We're kind of ending where we began, and it is this idea, Pastor Stuckey, you will give account. God always holds the leader accountable. Adam and Eve in the garden Eve takes of the tree, she takes of the forbidden fruit, she eats of the tree. Who gets the blame all throughout the Bible? Adam. The sin of Adam. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world. You're like, one man? I thought it was one woman. Adam was the leader. God always holds the leader accountable. 
Oftentimes in ministry, we have to correct people and we have to tell people, no, that's not what we're going to do. No, we're not going to do it that way. No, that's not going to be. And people say, well, why? Why does it matter? Here's why it matters, because I'm the one that's going to give an account. I'm the one that's going to be held accountable for what happens in this church. I'm the one that God's going to hold accountable. And Brother Stuckey, you will be the one that God holds accountable. So you better be convinced because you're the one in charge. And for the rest of the congregation, it's good for you to remember that when it comes to ministry, we're not talking about your home, your personal life. We're talking about within the ministry of the church. Obey them that have the rule over you. Amen. And like Brother Stucky preached to us earlier this week, because that is profitable for you. First Timothy chapter 4. I'm done with my sermon. I'd like to just read a couple of verses to you regarding the practice of ordination. I hope that this ordination charge has been a help and a reminder to you, Brother Stuckey. The charge of preaching, preach the word. The charge of protection, watch thou in all things. The charge of perseverance, endure affliction. The charge of propagation, do the work of an evangelist. The charge of proving, make full proof of thy ministry. The practice of ordination or of laying out of hands is something that is taught all throughout the Bible. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The presbytery is a reference to pastors, elders, bishops, spiritual leaders. We who are ordained ministers are to lay our hands on those that we ordain. And by the way, let me say this. 1 Timothy 5.22 says this, Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partake of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. Brother Stucky worked with me for three and a half years. He was an evangelist for five years. I think you can make the argument that we have not laid hands suddenly on no man. And that has nothing to do with Brother Stucky. Brother Stucky's been amazing and, and, and all of that. Um, you know, some of the things like he talked about earlier we were waiting on was just having children and having the right amount of children and things like that. He's proven himself over the years. And I have full confidence in him. That he's the right man. That he's a righteous man. That he's the man of God. My wife and I have watched him for these many years, and we are convinced we've watched Miss Tan. And we've seen her minister in her position as an evangelist wife. She's done a wonderful job. They've done a great work. They're children, they have good children. And we are laying our hands, I will be laying my hands on Brother Stuckey in the next few moments here and ordaining him, and it is a show of our approval, that we approve of him. We're not laying hands suddenly on no man. We live in a society today where you could go online and take a 10-minute course and receive an ordination online. That is so unbiblical and ridiculous, it's not even funny. The Bible says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partake of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. In Acts 13, if you can turn there if you'd like, I'll just read this quickly. Acts 13, 1 says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I want you to notice that the 
act of ordination is a biblical act to lay hands. And again, I want to testify that we believe in Brother Stuckey. We're proud of the work that Brother Stuckey and Miss Tan have done. We believe in them. We have confidence in them. We're happy to be associated with them. And I'd like to call Brother Stuckey up at this time so that we can go through the ordination process with him. Brother Stuckey is wearing, just shake your hand. Let me just explain. He's wearing, it's called a barone. A barone. This was a gift from the church people in the Philippines, and it is a, um, the, the formal attire of the Philippines. It's a beautiful garment. His son has a matching one. I'm a little offended that I don't have one. I was, <laughs> was going to take my coat off and do this in a tank top, but my wife said that's not a good idea. So, but he's wearing this um, gift from his church back home, and of course it is, it's, it's a, um, a part of the tradition there and a, a beautiful garment. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today. Lord, I thank you for Brother Stuckey. I thank you for his friendship over the years. He's been faithful and he's been loyal. Lord, I thank you for Miss Tan. This family has been such a blessing. Been a blessing to me. Been a blessing to my wife. Lord, today we separate them for the work of the ministry. They've already been serving, doing a wonderful job. We ordain him as a pastor. Lord, I pray for a special anointing upon his life. I pray, Lord, that you would help him and his wife and his children. Lord, as they leave those congregations in the Philippines, Lord, help them to remember the things we've talked about today that he would continue to preach the word, to do the work of an evangelist, to endure afflictions, to make full proof of the ministry. Lord, I pray you'd anoint him with your spirit. I pray you'd give him a special anointing, that you'd fill him with your spirit. Lord, we're excited to see the work that you will do. And today, as we ordain him into pastoral ministry, I pray you'd bless him. Bless his wife. Bless his ministry. Help him to do wonderful, mighty things for you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you. With God, can I got, come on up here. We've got a, a nice certificate of ordination here uh, presented to Pastor Matthew R. Stuckey for meeting the qualifications of a bishop this 17th day of the September in the year of our Lord. 2023, and it's got the verses of the qualification, of course, signed by me. I'd like to present this to you as a uh, certificate of, of ordination. Let me uh, let's go ahead and get a picture. And uh, Brother Stucky, here, let me, let me, uh, give me, give me this. If that's okay. You want to hold this for him? I don't know how you're going to get that back to the Philippines, but we'll help you. Also, I have some gifts here for you. Um, First of all, I want to give credit to Pastor Thompson. These are not some nice Bibles uh, for yourself, um, and this, there's one for you. I think the blue one is for you, and I think this one is for your wife. They've got your names printed on them, and now you don't have any excuse to not preach the Word, all right? <laughs> These are some beautiful Bibles. I want to give this to you as a gift. 
And I've got a little gift for you here, and this is actually uh, a book that Pastor Thompson um, told me about recently, The Art of Pastoring, and uh, I just want to give this to you as a gift. And obviously, we don't agree with everything in this book, but there's some good things here. There's a card here for you. Make sure you don't lose that. But um, God bless you. Let's get, uh, let's get a picture here, if that's okay. Can you just stand here? And where's uh, Brother Oliver? Let's just stand Well, God bless you. Let's give Brother Stuckey a round of applause. We're, we're proud of them. We're proud of the work they're doing. We're excited to see what the Lord is going to do with them and continue to do with them. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and, and pray, and we'll, we'll finish the service. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you, and Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless the work in the Philippines, the work of Brother Stuckey. Lord, I pray that you would bless his family, bless his wife, his children. Lord, I pray that you would help our church to continue to reach this world, to help to try to reach this world with the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to train other men like Brother Stuckey, send them off into the ministry. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Got just a couple.